continually amazes me about the Word of God is just how relevant it is for our lives today. Time and time again, at least my experience has been, maybe your experience has been, we read the Bible, we're blown away by how immediately it applies to what we are going through today. I mean, just last week we learned how God destroyed the earth with a worldwide flood, and just yesterday, God gave us a glimpse of what Noah was seeing, you know? Man, did you guys like that flood? You know, I, I don't know about you, but last year we kind of had the same thing that happened, and they're like, worst flood ever, 100-year flood, never going to be like this again. Hey, the water came up closer to my house yesterday than it did last year. I don't know about you, but hey, we're still, still far away away, but it was uh, interesting to watch. Hey, uh, last week we launched our story, our story series, um, and hopefully you picked up your story book, and hopefully you brought that with you. If this is your first time with us today and you don't have a storybook, I want you to know that we've got plenty of copies out at the Welcome Center. We'd love to give you one. It's our gift to you, and I would love to invite you to come and do the story with us throughout this whole series. I just believe it's going to be one of the greatest things you could ever do to, to just digest and read God's Word. So that's my invitation to you. Come and join us. We'd love for you to go through this with us. But like I said, we, we started this last week. You've got plenty of time to catch up. And we learned that God created everything. He made man in his own image. And then when he was done with creation, he looked out and he said, it is very, very good. But what happened? Man messed up. Adam and Eve, they sinned and it changed Everything, everything got messed up from there. Um, Adam and Eve, we read, got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Cain killed his brother Abel. Wickedness spread all over the world. God regretted making mankind. And then we read about Noah, who built an ark to save him and his wife and his three sons and three daughter-in-laws and two of every kind of animal in the flood. There's a real problem that entered the world. Mankind had become sinners, and even though God wiped wicked people off of the earth with the flood, it did not remove sin from people's <coughs> hearts. But if you keep reading, there's still hope. God didn't give up on his vision that he had created, what he dreamed about of doing life with his creation. So we're going into chapter 2 today, and what we are going to see as we get there, it's God's efforts to win man back. Remember, God's original vision was to come down and live in perfect fellowship with us. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. So in chapter 2, we learn that God decided that the best way to continue his grand vision of being with his creation would be this, to establish a nation, a special group of related, like-minded people intent on knowing God as much as he wanted to know them. And it would be through this specially chosen nation that God would reveal himself to everyone else in the world. It was through this special nation that God would offer a plan that would invite everybody to come back into a relationship with him. It was this special nation that God was going to rise up as an example to the rest of the world of what a people of God looks like. A people of God who is wholly devoted to him where he is their God and, 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 and he can love them and be with them and hopefully would inspire the rest of the world to join them. So just like the beginning of chapter 2 says, the title, God is going to build a nation. 
The world was filled with wickedness, but there was going to be this group. And what you're going to see in this story, God's going to say multiple times that they will be my people and I will be their God. And this nation will begin with a man named Abram. And his name would later get changed to Abraham. He is a central person in the Old Testament and the entire Bible for that matter. Now let me just give you a heads up. We're gonna, I'm going to say the word Abram or Abraham a lot in this sermon. There are points of the story. He's called Abram. There are other points. His name gets changed to Abraham. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. It may say Abram, and I may say Abraham. It may say Abraham, I may say Abram. So just give me a little grace. I mean the same guy. You never know what's going to come out of my mouth. So it starts with Abraham. So please open your storybooks to page 13. That's where we're going to be. Chapter 1 ended with Noah and the flood. That's where we left off last week. In your Bibles, that would be Genesis chapter 10. Well, the story about Abraham picks up in Genesis chapter 12. Just a little side note here, just to kind of help you bridge time. There is roughly a thousand years that transpire between Genesis chapter 10, the end of it, and Genesis chapter 12. That is a long time. You know, a lot of people can be born and live during a thousand years. There's a whole millennia goes by, and we don't really know a whole lot about what happened during that thousand years between Noah and Abraham, but we do know this, that at some point during that time, the peoples of earth got together and they had this idea, and it was an idea that God wasn't approving of. The idea was, do you remember, let's build a tower to reach heaven often referred to as the Tower of Babel. And that displeased God. And so what did God do? God confused all of their languages and the Tower Project essentially came to an halt. So on page 13 of your story Bible, we are introduced to Abraham and it starts like this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You don't have to turn there right now, but on page 15 of your story Bible, we read that God took Abraham outside, and he's like, Abraham, look up. This is Genesis 15, 5. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That is quite a promise. Turn over to your neighbor and say, hey, that's quite a promise. That is quite a promise. This is one of those promises that is going to carry through every part of the story. It's a promise that we read over and over again in the Old Testament, and it's a promise that gets referred to in the New Testament. It is quite a promise. Abraham, out of you, I will build a nation, and they will be more than the stars in the sky. I don't know if this is um, um, your experience, but my experience with Abraham, I first learned about him from a children's song. How many of you in here grew up in like Sunday school, children's church? You know, you were brought up into your faith as a child all the way up till now. Um, as I think about it, you probably can relate to this. Did you learn about Abraham the same way I did through a song? All right, I want to sing it for you. Now, this is out of my comfort zone. So I, I, I need you to sing with me. Those of you that know it, how's it go? 
Father Abraham had many sons. You know it. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right. Oh, very good. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left. Oh, so good. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I knew this all day. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right. Okay, that's enough. Okay, you, you get the idea. Right leg, left leg, head up, head down, spin around, sit down. Great song. I'm glad you're singing it with me. How many of you, that's the first time you've sung that since you were a kid? It's been a, and you still knew the words, didn't you? It came back to you like that. that. That little silly song was used to teach me. It was used to teach many of you. It was used to teach thousands and thousands of kids over the years of this promise that God made to Abraham that from him God would build a nation. He would be called, you know, referred to as Father Abraham because he fathered many people. And this nation would ultimately be the, the nation that brings Jesus the Messiah into the world. This is a very big deal. This is central to God's story to get man back into right fellowship with him. So the first thing that God tells Abram to do is to pack his bags, move to a place that he's never been to before because God was going to make him into this great nation. And from the outside looking in, especially if this is your first time to ever read the story, we would might be tempted to say there is all kinds of problems with this plan. First of all, from an outsider looking in, it's, you would say, Abraham's completely the wrong guy for this. If you know anything about Abraham and his wife Sarah, then you would know that they come from a family of idol worshipers. Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol worshiper. They grew up with idols. And you go, why would God pick somebody who was so familiar with idols to build this great nation out of? Abraham and Sarah, here's another thing that seems out of place. Abraham and Sarah are an elderly couple who have never had any children. At the time that God makes this promise to Abraham, Abraham is about 75 years old, and God tells him, you're going to be a dad at 75. Would that be good news to all of you who are 75? <laughs> Do you know Mick Jagger just had a kid in December, and he's 72? Do you know that? <laughs> a little free information. And Mick Jagger has nothing to do with Abraham, just to let you know. All right. Abraham is 75 years old. God says, you're going to be a dad. And Abraham would be 100 years old before that promise was fulfilled. Think about it. God chooses an elderly, infertile couple to populate the nation. Can you see God telling this plan to the angels? I mean, hypothetically, maybe God is having this little, um, little, you know, heavenly meeting with his angels. And he says, guys, I've got the plan. You know, I wiped mankind off the face of the earth. It's growing. It's wicked. And I've got a plan. We're going to build a nation. And, um, and I'm going to build it through one couple. And it's going to be great. And the angels are like, oh, that's fantastic, Lord. Because we've been watching this couple over here. You got to see it. They're fit. They're healthy. They're good looking. They're kind of that wannabe couple. Everybody wants to be them. They're photogenic. They play tennis every Friday afternoon. It's them. Those are the ones. 
And God says, you know, I was thinking, thinking them over there. And all the angels look and they go, the ones with the walkers, them. So God chooses this elderly, infertile couple to build this nation to keep his vision alive of community with his creation. This will not be the last time that you see God pick the most unlikely people to fulfill his purposes. It won't be. This actually is going to be a trend that you're going to see throughout every part of the story that God uses the least likely of people to accomplish his purposes. Let me just rattle off a few names. This by far is not an exhaustive list. Some of these names you will know. Some of them you won't. Now think about it. Abraham was old. Isaac was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was a slave. Moses stuttered. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. Mary was a poor teenage girl. John the Baptist was eccentric. He ate bugs. (laughs) Peter was impulsive. Martha worried a whole lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Thomas had his doubts. Paul was in poor uh, health. Thomas was in poor health. Paul was in poor health. And Timothy was timid. The Bible is not about a book filled with, with perfect people living in perfect times, experiencing perfect scenarios. No, the Bible is more about. God using the least likely of people to fulfill his purposes, like choosing an elderly, infertile couple to populate a nation. Why does God use imperfect people and unlikely people? Because that's what God does. And that's what God does so people will look to him for his glory. It's what he does. It shouldn't surprise us that when God wants to start a prison ministry, he uses an ex-con like Chuck Colson to do it. And it shouldn't surprise us that when God wants to teach us something about joy, he uses a quadriplegic named Joni Erickson Tata to teach us some things. What was it about Abraham and Sarah that made God choose them? As I evaluate this, it comes down to one thing. Why did God choose Abraham and Sarah? You can sum it up in one word, and the one word would be this, faith. Faith, that's why. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, take your family, take everything you've got, leave your homeland of Haran, which was a city on the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria, and go to a place I will show you. And he went. That, my friends, is faith. And I look about his life, and I look at their age, and they're they're getting up there in years. And my guess would be this. It's just purely a guess that Abraham and Sarah, at this stage in their life, pretty much kind of had some things figured out. They figured out where they wanted to spend the rest of their days. The idea of moving someplace at this stage in their life probably was a little bit overwhelming to them because I think it would be overwhelming to many of us. But they just get up and they go. 
They trust God. They go even though they don't know where they're going, even though they've never been to where they're going. And Abraham's response is just the epitome of faith. And it says on page 13, this is also Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord told him. You know, I, I think about the question, what is faith? Well, just purely looking at Abraham's life, I would say faith is this. Faith is obeying God when you don't know where you're going. That's faith. That's Abraham's faith. If God says go, it means, okay, I'll go. And I wonder, when was the last time we were like that? You know, hey, if God says go, I'm just going to go. And I'm not talking about having a, a specific vision. I'm not talking about the heavens parting and the Lord coming down and telling you to go. I'm, I'm talking about when was the last time you had what I would just refer to as the Holy Spirit burden, where the Holy Spirit was nudging you to do something, to go. You felt conviction, and you felt as if the Lord was impressing it upon your heart, and you were like, all right, God, this is you, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to do this. When was the last time? Because Abraham, you know, he just left his home and he just believed that God would fulfill his promises. And I think about all the objections that Abraham could have had. And I think about all the objections that I could have thought of if I was in his shoes. But he didn't give one that we know of. It was just in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. These are some of the reasons why Abraham's name pops up throughout most of the Old Testament and a good chunk of the New Testament. This is why guys like the Apostle Paul would refer back to the decisions and the life of Abraham and what God was doing through him. The Apostle Paul said this about Abraham's faith in the book of Romans chapter 4 in the New Testament. It says this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. That's the Bible's way of saying he was old. And since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Pay close attention to verse 21. What's it say? Being fully persuaded. That means I believe it with all my heart. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. It's like Paul is bringing up this truth that Abraham at the age of 100 was still fully convinced that God could do what he said he could do, even though physically he knew it was impossible for him to do it. Fully persuaded. So what is faith? It's like, God, if you say to go, I'll just get up and go and you don't know where I'm, I'm going. As I look at Abraham's life, this is another example of faith. What is it? It's this. Faith is believing God against all hope. It's like being fully persuaded that God will do what he said. It's like the question I kind of presented last week. What do you believe about God? I know some of you are on a pursuit. You're trying to discover the answer to that question. What is it that I believe? And you might kind of be feeling right now, believing God is like going against a lot of things that people have told me. But Abraham believed God against all hope. I wonder, do you believe God? I think how you answer that question 
has the potential to radically affect the outcome of your own story. You know, you think about you didn't get that job that you had applied for. You don't get into that school you had applied for. You don't make that team that you had worked so hard to make. But you believe against all hope that God has a master plan and he is faithful and loving and true to you even against those things. Maybe you struggle with generosity. Do you believe what God says when he says it's more blessed to give than receive? Do I believe God? You know, I talk to couples all the time um, about living situations and sexual purity and, and all of those things. It's a, it's a regular conversation I have with many, many people. And we talk about the benefits of living according to God's plan or living outside of God's plan. And it always kind of comes back to this. What do you believe about God? Do you believe against all hope? Do you believe against whatever else, everyone else in your life says that you should do? Do you believe that God knows what's best for you and God knows what's best for your marriage and your future and all of that? What do you believe? Against all hope, what do you believe? Abraham just simply believes God. He believes against all hope. Now, if you were to keep reading just a little bit more, you'd come to um, the part of the Bible that we read in Genesis chapter 16. And it's the part where, um, you know, some of this gets summarized in your storybooks, but we're going to kind of pull it out a little bit more, um, where uh, Sarah and Abraham, they begin to get a little bit impatient. Their faith didn't waver. They still believe God would do everything he said, but they just get a little bit impatient. It's like, you know what? We're not getting any younger. And so they take matters into their own hands because obviously God needed a little help. And that's what happens next in the story. Have you ever made that mistake before? God needs a little help with my situation, so I'm going to do this now. It's a dangerous game to play with God. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 through 2, just look at the screen. This part's summarized in your story Bibles. Just look up here. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Friends, let me reiterate. It is never a good thing to get impatient with God. Listen, I know how it is. Some of us have been praying for some same things for years and years and years, and we wonder, how long is God going to take? Learn a lesson from Abraham and Sarah. It is never good to get impatient with God. God has a master plan. You're going to see that here, and you're going to see some of the consequences when we try to insert our own agenda into God's master plan. Abraham, he, uh, he goes with Hagar. She gets pregnant, and she has a son named Ishmael. And boy, that's when all the problems started. They are committed to God's destination, but they're not necessarily listening to God and his direction as to how to get there. And that gets us into trouble, and that is Ishmael's story. God said that he would go ahead and make a nation out of Ishmael too. Okay, you had a son, 
This was not my plan. This is not the nation that I was dreaming about. But you know what? I will go ahead and make a nation out of him. But let's be clear about something. This is not the promised child. This is not the, the nation that I have dreamed up. No, no, no. Abraham, the promise is still there. You are going to have a child. I am going to build a nation. But I'm going to go ahead and let Ishmael grow a nation as well. It just gets worse from here. Sarah, after, after Hagar has Ishmael, and Ishmael begins to grow, funny thing happens. Sarah, who had this master plan, well, I will raise a son through her, all of a sudden begins to despise Hagar. Just despise, becomes jealous of her. Becomes envious of, of this relationship she has, what was supposed to be her son. And it's an everyday example in your face of your impatience with God. That would be a terrible thing to have to live with. And she begins to get very angry. She doesn't want her to be around this one big, happy, supposedly community that they thought they were going to have is absolutely ruined. And so a change has to be made. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 12, this is what God said about Ishmael. His hands, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards his brothers. So basically God is pronouncing that this nation that's going to grow up out of Ishmael is going to be trouble. There's no other way to say it. It's going to be a hostile relationship. So like how Sarah and Hagar had a hostile relationship, so will be this nation towards the others. So you have Ishmael, who was born from Hagar, and, and Hagar, and he is going to have a brother named Isaac. Now Isaac is the promised child to Abraham and Sarah. This, this is the child that God always dreamt for them to have. Now Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nation. Abraham and Isaac become the father of the Jewish nation and the Christian nation as well. Now, here we are, 4,000 years later, and you open up the news and you see this conflict, this tension between Iran and Israel. What are we actually seeing? We're seeing Ishmael not getting along with Isaac, to put it simply. Now, I don't want to follow this rabbit trail too far. I don't want to get into world politics and Middle East stuff. But the Muslim nation traces their heritage not to Isaac, but to Ishmael. And the Jewish nation and the Christian nation traces their heritage to God's promised one, Isaac. And you still have this conflict today. This right here in the book of Genesis. Sarah and Abraham getting impatient with God creates and owns some of the havoc we live with today. So, on, so maybe perhaps the most well-known part of Abraham's story is what comes next. It's found in Genesis chapter 22 
um, God decides to put Abraham to the test. So now Isaac is born, and this nation um, is set now on the right pace, on the right pace. This day have Abraham and Sarah as the parents to Isaac, and they're starting to grow. And you can start to see the very foundations of this nation that is going to go. And then all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 22, God says, Abraham, I want you to do something. I want you to kill your son. And then this is another one of those places. That doesn't make any sense. Why would God do that? Let's read it together. Page 19 in your storybooks. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And I come back to this idea, what faith. Surely he had all kinds of questions for God. I know that this did not make sense to Abraham, but he just obeyed. He lowered his donkey and he went. And if I'm just trying to define what faith is, based off of Abraham's life, I would say it's also this. Faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. Trusting God even when the story doesn't make any sense at all. I see that in Abraham's life. He wasn't perfect. He messed up plenty. Um, we mess up as well. We're no different in that regard. But at one of the most pivotal moments of his life that we read about in Genesis chapter 22, he trusted God even though it did not make sense. I think we have to be reminded at this point in the story just how limited and limiting our point of view is. In fact, most of the things, if you think about it, that God told Abraham did not make any sense at all. In the limited vision of what we're calling our lower story, that's everyday life, living every day, getting up, going to work, going to bed, and all that stuff. In the everyday grind of our lower story, oftentimes God's ideas and his vision doesn't make sense, what God's doing in the upper story. Like if you go back to the garden and God said, hey, Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree. Well, I don't think that made a whole lot of sense to Adam and Eve. But it was part of God's master plan. Noah, build a big boat even though there's not any water for miles. I'm sure Noah, that didn't really make a lot of sense. But it was part of God's master vision, his upper story. Abraham, pack up everything you've got. And leave your homeland. That didn't make a lick of sense in the lower story. But it fit perfectly in God's upper story. How about when Jesus said, sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. That doesn't make a lot of sense in our lower story. You know, the everyday stuff. But it makes perfect sense in God's upper story. His grander vision of winning people back to him. Love your enemies. Doesn't make a lot of sense in my lower story. But it makes perfect sense in God's master story. His plan to bring the world back to him. These things don't make any sense. But we just never forget that what may seem confusing or contradictory to us is all part of God's seamless upper story. And I think some of us need a reminder of that today. God told Abraham, you are going to be a father. And after many years, many years, it actually happens. And now all of a sudden, God says, now kill him. Kill your one and only son. Look at page 19. Don't miss the significance of this language. 
on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. This is the place where God said, that's where I want you to sacrifice your son. And he says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And what does Abraham say? We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now hold on a second. Didn't God say, kill your son up there? Where was Abraham's faith? I think Abraham was like, we're going to go worship and we're going to come back and God's going to do his thing. But I believe with all my heart, God can do anything. And no matter if I have to kill my son, God will raise him back to life. We're coming down. I don't know exactly what, but it's like we are going to worship. We are going to come back. And then on page 19 again, let's keep reading. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. We get the impression that Isaac's just a little guy. There's every indication in the world to make us think that Isaac is an adult by this point. Perhaps in his 30s, maybe almost approaching 40. And he willingly says, all right, Dad, if that's what you think we should do. And he lays his life down. I can't even imagine the emotion going through Abraham. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I mean, I get the impression the knife was here. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. I Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham was invited to be a part of God's story, not because he was deserving, not because he was qualified, but because he had faith. That's it. I've asked the worship team to, to come out here and lead you in a song. It's a song by Matt Redman. It's called Never Once, and I think you might be familiar with it. I think of this song, and it reminds me of Abraham on many levels. Oh, Abraham was living his life. He had his highs and his lows. He had probably those moments where he wondered, when is this promise going to happen? God said something to me at age 75, and here I am 100, and it hasn't happened yet. And we've made some mistakes along the way, but I still believe. And I'm reminded throughout Abraham's story that never once, never once did he ever walk alone. Ever. And neither do we. Never once did God ever leave him on his own. God never leaves us either. If you get anything from Abraham's story, he wasn't perfect, but God was right there with him. And he was faithful. Oh my goodness, was God faithful? He was faithful all the way up. Think about on the mountainside when he was supposed to kill his son. Was God faithful? Was he? Absolutely he was. This song reminds me of Abraham, and I think it reminds us of us. Would you stand?